Thanks, Steve. Hey, Hope. Hey, Jake. You got a great... Thanks, man. You got a great name. Um, I'm glad to be here, up here tonight, and I'm excited for what we're going to get into. I'm excited about this fall series. I'm super excited. Um, as Steve explained, there's so many things to be excited about, um, about this vision series that we're going to get into. So I would love to pray, and we're going to jump right into it. Father, thank you so much uh, for tonight. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you um, for all the ways that you're stirring, all the ways you're meeting with us. Thank you that um, you do not despise our brokenness, but you come near to meet us right where we're at. Thank you that you are a God of mercy and compassion, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Um, will you help us to see you tonight? Um, will my words um, glorify you, point to you, and will you speak to us tonight? Not just somebody up here, but you, Father, your president, your spirit is here, and we need you to speak. We need you to dive deep into our hearts um, and uncover what's there and put truth where there's been lies. And I just ask you would open us up to your beauty, your glory, um, and your plan for us this evening. Thank you. We love you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so I'm gonna give, I'm gonna jump right into it because we do have a lot going on tonight. Um, I'm gonna give kind of an overview of where we're headed with our vision series. We're gonna start a vision series, not next week or the week after. Next week's gonna be an encounter. Um, then we're gonna have a one-off with Randy talking about money. You're not gonna wanna miss that. He's very gentle and kind, so don't, don't be afraid. Um, and very wise about money um, and, uh, and God's, um, what God has to say about it. So um, that'll be September 4th, and then after that, we're gonna get into our vision series and talk um, about these slides that I'm about to share. Um, but that is gonna be um, something that's happening two weeks from now. Right now, we're gonna lay the foundation of where does this, these slides come from, where does this vision series come from, lay the foundation of where that's coming from, why we're doing the things that we're doing, um, and then we're gonna dive deeper into each one. So we're gonna put up some slides and I'm gonna get into it. We, um, we released these into the world um, maybe, I don't know, six months ago, I can't remember. Um, and it's, it was in our efforts, um, we'll go to the first slide, Austin. It was in our efforts and desire, um, as we're moving into a new season and there's transitions, uh, to stop and ask the Lord, um, what are we doing? What do you want us to see? Can you help us to zoom out and see the big picture um, of all the activity that we wanna be a part of as a church? What are you doing? Um, and so we put these uh, circles up here um, and the way we have it laid out is the life with God. And again, I'm gonna zoom through this because this is what we're gonna go through in several sermons uh, throughout the fall series. So this is something that we're gonna be soaking in. So forgive me if I move quickly through this. Um, life with God um, is at the top. It's where everything comes from. Um, as Jesus invites us into relationship, uh, back into relationship with God, um, our life with him, our pursuit of him, of knowing him, of enjoying him, is where everything comes from. But we also um, know that what we wanna be a part of is life with each other. What we're doing here tonight in discipleship groups, a big reason for doing this sermon is we're excited, not this week, but the next week of August 29th, that we're gonna be meeting in groups of three to six people, um, and we're gonna be meeting weekly. Um, in that those groups of getting to know one another and follow Jesus together are crucial. They may seem like small commitments, and we're gonna talk about that, but it's crucial. So sharing our lives with one another as we follow Jesus is huge. And then 
we, just, we don't stay together, but we're moving into lights in the world. And so all of these things flow together from God and back to him. Um, then we decided, we can move to the next slide, something that might be a little bit more helpful um, is to move it into this beautiful Venn diagram. I think when we were talking about this, one of the things that Steve Liu brought up is he almost, he talked about these circles almost as lenses. Um, and it got us to thinking about if those, if those lenses were all overlapping, we could see clearly. But if, if there were only one or there was only, there was only two, um, you've got here life with God and life with each other. It's just us hanging out together. We have no care or compassion for the hurting and the lost in the world outside these doors or outside our homes. We don't wanna be a part of that. Um, and then if it's life with God and life in the world, we're just on our own. We're not sharing our lives with other believers and we don't want that. And then life community and seeking and to help the, the poor, the hurting without the power of God we don't see that going well either. It's the power of God, it is his compassion for the world that brings um, the help that is needed. And so the way that we looked at it is we don't become the kingdom of God when we, when we step into these things as we follow Jesus, but the kingdom of God is seen as we develop intimacy and walk in intimacy with our Father through the Holy Spirit as Jesus has brought us in and we commit ourselves to other believers, to learning to love each other like Jesus loved us and has loved us and committed to, we're not staying there, we're not gonna leave that goodness that God brings into this community from the life that he's brought through Jesus. We receive his heart for those that don't know him, for those that are hurting, for those that are outcast. And so we move outward and when that's happening, you see God's kingdom present, because Jesus's main message when he come, came breaking into the scene, he said, the good news, repent, this is the good news, the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is coming, but it is here, and we wanna be representatives of that. So, again, we're gonna dive into this much deeper. I wanna talk about the foundation of where did these come from? Why do we have these up here as just something that we thought was nice, or something that we thought was new and would be nice to introduce? It's not, and we move to the next slide. We believe all of this comes from the simplicity of discipleship, of following God, following Jesus into loving God and loving others. Um, and that's where we see our scripture verse for tonight, um, the foundation uh, that Jesus came and he made disciples to teach them to love God and love their neighbor as themselves. Everything that has gone wrong with the world is tied to those things, not being able to love God and love others as ourself. And so what we, introducing those circles, we don't believe it's new to hope. We don't believe and we don't want it to be new to the past 2,000 years of Christian history. Um, we see all of this is following Jesus. So we see Jesus coming into the scene and we see him prioritizing intimacy with his Father knowing his father, spending time alone with God, receiving all that he had from his father. Um, everything he did, he did from that relationship. And then we see he didn't just keep that there, but he brought a group of people together, an unlikely group, and he committed themselves to each other to learn to love like he loved. But then that group didn't even stay where they were at. They went out to the outskirts, to the lepers, to those who by the religious leaders were completely useless to God. 
um, those who were hurting and oppressed by the enemy. And he took his little group of people out there to meet those needs and to reveal and demonstrate the kingdom of God truly has come. So that's the foundation of the circles is discipleship. It's just the simplicity of following Jesus. What I wanna do tonight is take us on a little journey. So I apologize if it feels like a journey. Um, to, the, to the beginning and then to the end and then back into the middle to understand what is discipleship for? We see these things playing out. We see how they work. We see Jesus working these out in his life as he came onto the scene. But where does this come from in the greater story of scripture? Because we are in a story and if we don't know our place in the story, it's hard to know what we do now. So God has revealed the story to us. Jesus has opened our eyes to what the story is. So with that, I'm gonna ask, if there's Bibles or phones or things that have Bibles on them, if you could go to Genesis 1. We are truly gonna go all the way back and then all the way to the end. So Genesis 1, verse 26 through 28. Genesis 1, 26 through 28. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over the creeping things that creep on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the earth. So when humans, when you and I come on the scene in scripture, God creates us and then gives us a task. And the task is to bring his goodness, his creativity and his glory into the earth. We were meant to be representatives because it says over and over here, created in the image of God. So humans are intended to image God out into the world, to be his representatives. Most of us know if we've been in church um, even a little bit, that this doesn't go well. It doesn't work out like we would want it to because this is a, this is a I think a, a huge important point um, as we move on tonight to understand what God instituted here for humans is a, is a glorious and dignified position that human beings were meant to be glorious and to bring God's glory into the world so when things go wrong, they go really wrong. And I think we can all feel and see that now. And to understand the fullness of the story, what I love is that if anyone has been at Hope um, for a while, you'll know something about the Genesis 0.5 story. I'm so glad Peter Swan is here tonight because the Genesis 0.5 story is that before what we just read was in place, there is a spiritual rebellion where Satan, the adversary of God, and many other angels fall and rebel against God. 
Their desire is to put them, their, themselves in the place of God. They're, because they were glorious. They were created by God Almighty. And so they wanted to take the reins and rule and do their, the thing on their own, in their own wisdom. And so when the humans come on the scene, the adversary, Satan's number one goal to attack the glory of God is to come to humans and tell them the same lie, that you can't trust this God. You have to take matters into your own hands. You know what's best for you. You know how to run your own life. You know how to do this job of having dominion over the earth. And so they believe him. Instead of believing God, they take the fruit of the tree, the knowledge of good and evil. And they don't trust God to rule with him, to rule under his wisdom and under his intimate relationship as they were walking in the cool of the day with God. They reject that. And the result is instead of bringing God's goodness into the world, we brought violence and destruction. And we see the effects today. Humans using their own power and authority to oppress. Anger and hatred dividing us over who we perceive to be the other. And we have all of these internal struggles that keep us in slavery and tear families apart. All of this destroying God's good creation, which we were meant to cultivate. And so when something, when God creates something glorious, when it goes bad, it goes really bad. I love there's a C.S. Lewis quote that kind of says, paraphrase, um, a cow can't be very good or very bad, but a human can be very good or very bad. And we see the results of it as we relinquished that right that we had to be God's representatives by taking on and placing, putting ourselves in the place of God. So we were in a bad, bad spot. I'm gonna ask you to go to the very end of the Bible now. Revelation 21. I'm sorry for the whiplash. This will, 21, yeah. And then we'll do 22 too. Thanks, Jake. You're on top of it. We're gonna do 22 as well. Revelation 21 so we have this terrible spot that we're in with this rebellion, spiritual rebellion, the humans created to be God's representatives, giving into that deception. And then everything we see in our world today is a result of that. The destruction that we see in our own lives, that the destruction that I cause in my own life to those around me by my own selfishness, by my own desire to be my own God it compounded throughout history. And it doesn't take much to have an imagination to see how bad it has gotten and to know where we're at now. But what God says is the end of the story is a beautiful end. It's incredible. And it starts in Revelation 21, one through five. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw, saw the holy city in New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes 
and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning or crying nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. Write this down, these words are trustworthy and true. And if you move over to 22 verse five, this is what God says is the future for humans in this passage. This is something God did and will do and is creating right now. And he says of them, and night will be no more and they will need no lamp light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. So do you see God instituted humans in the beginning in Genesis to reign and to rule and things went terribly wrong, but God's purpose in the end of all things is to reinstate us back into the same position, not in a disembodied existence in heaven one day when we die, but the new heavens and new earth to take back our place that he intended for us to reign with him forever. That's what God is doing. That's what he's going to do. So that begs the question of where are we now? It's an important question of where are we now? Um, one of the things I started doing when doing these talks is um, spending time with God and praying and stopping and just asking God, asking the spirit, will you just give me a word or a phrase or something to spark um, some more direction. And, and sometimes he gives me stuff, sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes he gives me things that are very interesting and funny to me. And this time, a word that I uh, don't use in my vocabulary. Um, he said the, the word reclamation, reclamation project is what I felt like I heard. Um, it's an interesting word. Reclamation is simply to reclaim. Uh, the Webster's definition of reclaim is to rescue from an undesirable state, to restore to a previous natural state. I love that idea of reclamation, to rescue from an undesirable state or to restore to a previous natural state. One of the gifts that I have for uh, Ellie, uh, my four-year-old daughter loves to go on walks, loves to be put on the shoulders and go on walks and get to meet some neighbors. A lot of people aren't out um, these days on our streets, um, but there's always, there's one neighbor that's high percentage chance he's out. His name's Larry. Larry's awesome. Larry um, had, uh, when he, in his heyday, I think, um, when, when things were just popping for Larry, he had a VW bug that he loved Loved this VW bug. Um, and so when we would walk by his house, there was this absolute piece of junk VW bug sitting in his driveway. And day after day, I mean, June, July, August, he's in this engine. I mean, sweat pouring out. I'm sweating walking to the mailbox past his house and our neighborhood. And he is just pouring sweat into, I mean, rusted everything. It just didn't, and a VW bug for me, it was like, that's, that's fine, that sounds good. Um, but he loved this thing. And he had a vision, he, he knew what he had experienced in that day, um, probably in his 20s when he's rocking the VW bug, and day after day committed to this thing. He was committed to it. 
and he worked on it and worked on it. And I would walk past it and walk past it and like little by little, this thing, and I would stop and talk to him. He's like, yeah, this is the problem today and this, fix this thing and this thing went wrong. And he didn't stop. He didn't stop. The interior got all fitted out and he put these fat speakers in the back of this thing. They're incredible. And one day it got completed. I'm telling you now, it's, this is not a joke. At least a mile away, you can hear this thing. It is thumping and it comes down. As soon as I hear it, we're outside playing in the front a lot. And this thing comes riding down and there's Larry and it is, it's beautiful. I mean, new paint job, the interior, I have to admit, I mean, still video bugs aren't my thing, but I have to admit it looks really good. And this thing got reclaimed because he had a, he had a vision for what it was. He saw it, he knew the glory of a VW bug and what it could be, and he stayed committed to it, even when it was a disaster of a thing. He didn't stop. He didn't stop working. He kept at it. And today, I get to see Larry just enjoying his life to the fullest coming down our street. I love it. Another thing of, of reclamation, it can be the, the cultivation of wasteland, the process of reclaiming something back or reasserting right. Um, a lot of reclamation projects involved like places that were mined for minerals, and then you put all this work into it, and now it's a beautiful golf course, things like that. I think one of the greatest land reclamation projects um, is actually the one that needs to happen in our front yard. Um, we have um, a front bed in our house where we've tried to put bushes. There's just, I mean, it's probably like fits six bushes. I don't care, would know. And um, it's the soil and we put bush after bush in there. And everything, I mean, we're not great at the yard stuff and gardening, but we did everything right like five times. And we put these bushes in there and these plants and every single thing dies. And Kara pulled them up this weekend, again, the, the latest bush to die, plant to die. And when she was pulling it up, she realized, when I was digging, I didn't see one living thing in this soil. The soil's bad. Whatever we plant in here is gonna die. <laughs> and so when we think about God's reclamation project of the human, he puts such great value in the human being. It's amazing. We don't have to look far when we get to Jesus in just a little bit. He dies on the cross to reinstate us. We don't have to look far, but he started that reclamation project way back after the fall, after the flood, after Noah. He brings these people out, he brings Abraham out, and he creates the nation of Israel. But what's interesting is he institutes the law, God's goodness of how humans were supposed to operate, God's law. But just like our plants that we keep planting in bad soil, the law wasn't able to reinstate or reclaim the human beings because there was something much deeper. It's the human heart something that needs to be excavated and something new that needs to be placed in. And so the prophets in the Old Testament talk about this renewal of all things. And one of the most beautiful ones is in Ezekiel 25, I won't make, 36, verse 25, I won't make you go there, but it says, 
This is the prophecy of what God will do one day to complete his salvation project, his reclamation project of the human. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from your, all your idols I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put in you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I give, gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. The Israelites' problems is they still had a stony heart. They still needed the renewal of their heart. They still needed this clean water and they needed this new heart and this new spirit. I, I, do, I do wanna make sure to say, I know it's in, in the Christian circles, it can, be, it can be a little bit weird to hear even just a statement to, to, to any human that you're incredibly important. Because I think what, what, we, what we fear is that we take that and that we're, we're saying what the world says, which the world says you're important, so make life about you. That the center of history, the point of history is you. The story of the gospel is that life isn't about you, history is not about you. You have glory because God is real and you're glorious because you were made in his image. That's a different story. You are of great value more than you know. The world says you are so important, you should make life about yourself. And also there's no meaning or purpose, nothing greater for you. You live and you die and there's nothing. But alternatively, the good news of Jesus says that you were created for a glorious an eternal purpose that is wrapped up in the glory of God himself who made us in his image, which is why we carry the dignity and value that we do. Just like that beat up VW bug, Larry valued it. Um, we might feel completely beat up, worthless and useless right now today to God or to anyone else, I don't know. The story of scripture, the story of Jesus is God is not afraid of how you feel about yourself. He wants to reinstate you back into relationship with him, into a life of joy, a life of peace, and a life of abundance that you're meant to live. What also is clear in scripture in this story is God is doing his reclamation project as Israel is moving forward and they're failing and God does a new thing in them and they continue to fail and they continue to struggle. There's a promise of a coming Messiah. There's a promise that there is one coming who can accomplish what isn't being accomplished through God's work in the Israelites and that it would save Israel but not just Israel, but it would save the whole world. But within that context is also clarity that there's a coming judgment. 
and God is really clear about this in scripture um, that there, there is a day where God will judge the world. And the reason why he's doing all that he's doing now is so that human beings, so that you and I can live and reign with him. We can be in that Revelation 21 story, that Revelation 22 story with him. But in the meantime, Jesus would say things like this that are hard to hear. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned in the fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The son of man will send his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let them hear. I think this could be an uncomfortable thing for us to think about, but we need to understand that good news isn't good news unless there's an alternative. Unless there's something that is coming that God wants to rescue us from. Unless God's reinstatement, his renewal of the world that he loves and for humans that he loves, that his accomplishment of that will bring judgment. And those who are not in Christ, who have not been rescued by him, and we're gonna talk about the salvation of God in just a second, that they will come into judgment. But God doesn't, in the first John would put it like this, don't love the things in this world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. But the scripture doesn't just talk about judgment. It sings about a coming savior. And it makes clear we need a savior. That apart from salvation, I am a part of this world that is passing away. My selfishness, my desire to be God and that others would work for me as opposed to me serving others, all of that is inside me. And apart from salvation, I will be a part of the world that perishes. But there is good, good news. One of the um, beautiful reclamation verses in uh, the Old Testament from Isaiah 51 goes like this. The Lord will surely comfort Zion and look with compassion on all her ruins. He will make her deserts like Eden, her wastelands like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her, thanksgiving and the sound of singing. Listen to me, my people, hear me, my nation, instruction will go out from me. My justice will become a light to the nations. My righteousness draws near speedily. My salvation is on the way. And my arm will bring justice to the nations. And so we come into the gospels and some angels meet shepherds out in the field and they say, don't be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. 
unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Jesus is the salvation of the world. He's what the prophets promised. Paul says it like this in Romans, for God, what God has for God has done with what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. But Jesus breaks into the world we're finally getting to the, to the main point. That was just, a, uh, that was just the intro. Uh, apologize for that. Um, after the intro, um, Jesus comes in. He's announced by angels, the savior of the world. But he comes in the least likely way that the Jewish people thought that their Messiah would come. He comes to a poor family born in obscurity in a manger, in a barn with some animals. And he lived in a place called Nazareth, which was apparently um, just not that impressive, um, a pretty much middle of nowhere place. Um, and he comes in, and then when he starts his ministry, he breaks onto the scene, and something incredible happens. He shows up to some broken, messy, um, humans, and he says, follow me. He says, follow me. The grand story of God restarting the human race and reclaiming the world may seem too big for something as simple as discipleship. I think as we go throughout this vision series, we need to think is the big picture. And we think about all these things that we're gonna be partnering in with, things we're gonna be jumping into, discipleship groups, a weekly commitment, right? That's a big story, the, the reclamation of, of human beings. It's a big story, but we need to think about how it started. How did the salvation of the world come? An obscure Jewish rabbi from the middle of nowhere comes to a fisherman some fishermen, some tax collectors, political extremists, and he says, follow me. It was a hodgepodge of people that no one would have put together. It's like him going today, going to a welding shop and going to a wealthy banker with shady business practices or in a member of Antifa, and then he says, follow me. But these people did when he burst onto the scene, and 2,000 years later, here we are in Houston, Texas, thousands of miles away, speaking a different language with a totally different context and experiencing the same Jesus, the same life that he brought them into. He started them on a journey that would take them to God. He lived the life and taught what it looks like to live in the kingdom of God. And then he told them to go and make learners, make disciples of Jesus wherever they went, of all different types of people. Then he filled them with the Holy Spirit, enabled them to have power to live as he commanded, 
and love like he loved them. And even then, they didn't even realize the fullness of the plan. They didn't even realize Gentiles were part of the plan until God sent a Roman soldier, the occupier of Israel at the time. He sent a Roman soldier to Peter. And that Roman soldier and his family got filled with the Holy Spirit. So they understood this truly was the salvation of the world to become a disciple of Jesus, forgiven of our sins by his death on the cross where he paid the costly price, brought into life with him, wrapped up in the love of the Father and his love with a new heart that desires to walk in his ways and learn how to live and love like he lived. And so we're here today. Through discipleship to Jesus, being brought by him into the same life he lived, he reclaims us back into the humans we were meant to be, to rule and reign with him by his leadership and by him changing our hearts. He has started that project with us. He brought God's rule and his kingdom into their reality. Their reality is not much different than our reality. Different contexts, truly different languages, many different things. We're still human beings. We still have many of the same issues in very different ways, but he brought the life from heaven to these people and he's doing it today with us. So when we think of something as simple as discipleship groups that start in a couple weeks, it may seem simple to keep a weekly commitment, to meet together in a small group, to open our lives up to one another, truly open our lives up to one another, to pray and to get into scripture and to seek his face. But what Jesus does with those simple steps toward him are more multiplied and glorious than we could ever imagine. And we don't have to look much further than the prophecies of the coming salvation, of the reinstatement of human beings back into their intended design and how simple it seemed as, God, as Jesus stepped into the scene and he came to very ordinary people. I don't know if you realize, he, he didn't end up going to the religious leaders of the day. He didn't find the priest or the pastor, the one who knew the most about the scriptures, probably didn't go to people who could read in a lot of instances. And he said, follow me. And they didn't even know the fullness of what that looked like. They didn't know he would lead them and teach them, demonstrate the kingdom, give them the same authority and power to bring God's kingdom to bear on a broken and hurting world where the enemy is still in charge. He's still ruling. God has still allowed him to rule. Jesus comes pushing back the works of the enemy and he gives these people the same authority. And then he shows them what it would take to truly transform the world, his own death. He went, he loved them all the way to the end. He poured out his blood so that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord can be saved, really saved, saved into an eternity with him that starts now and culminates on the new heavens and new earth where we will enjoy him, reign with him forever. And he has put that reality into a dark and broken world and for us, Hope Church, 
what we're pursuing when we pursue this vision series is that God would be seen through our community, that we would be glimpses of that beautiful reality that God is creating. There's a quote that I love from a guy named Dallas Willard. And we can just try this on and see if this fits with what we've looked at in scripture. Um, It talks about the aim of God in history. And I've really been thinking about this. He says, the aim of God in history is the creation of an all-inclusive community of loving persons with himself included in that community as its prime sustainer and most glorious inhabitant. The aim of God in history is the creation of an all-inclusive community of loving persons with himself included in that community as its prime sustainer and most glorious inhabitant. I love that vision and I, I gotta be honest, I, I get glimpses of that from time to time and it, it makes my heart come alive. A lot of those glimpses come with you guys when we're just sharing time together and I know people are known I know there's, there's no hiding, there's no mask. People are known, they're loved, they're cared for. Wherever they are, there's laughter and there's crying together. Um, and all at the center is this person of Jesus. And that is where we're headed. And I want as much of that now as I can get. And I wanna do it with you guys. And that's why we're going through this series to understand what that looks like for us to pursue that together. But this all centers, starts with, and ends with Jesus. We start, we stay with him, and we end with him. The ways that he saves us, the payment for our sins, he's the way to the Father, he's the one who baptizes us, baptizes us in the Spirit. He unites us with God himself, He gives us access to the Father. He's the light of the world. He's the bread of life. He's the door to heaven. He's the living water. He's the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father. He's the Prince of Peace. He's the shepherd of our souls. He's the king of God's kingdom. He's the Lord of the universe. And he's our brother. He's our friend and our companion. For those who have said yes, and laid down their own life. Because we are glorious and we have amazing worth, but when we come to Jesus to be reinstated back into that glorious purpose, what he says to us, if you wanna save your life, you lose it. If you wanna live, come and die. It is a turning upside down of how the world operates and the greatness that this world thinks. We wanna be great, we wanna be a part of something, we, want, we all want that. That is a good desire because it comes from somewhere. It comes from God's story. But that, stepping into that, comes from the simplicity of saying yes to Jesus, from following him. Charles Spurgeon has this quote, is to come to Jesus, or rather to receive Jesus as he has come to us is the one essential step to eternal salvation. As we close tonight, um, the biggest thing that I want to sit with, um, the center of all of this is the glory of Jesus. For us as a community to start to behold and to see him as he really is is the start of everything. 
There's a scripture in 2 Corinthians 3 that says, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, that's Jesus, we are transformed from one degree of glory to another, and this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Transformed from one degree of glory to the other into that same image. Because God's desire for discipleship for us, his desire, and Jesus, when he instated to go and make disciples, teach them to observe all that I've commanded you, teaching them to live like I told you to live, and I'm with you every step. His desire is to transform us into the very image of Jesus. That we don't step out and try to white knuckle our obedience to God and to be like Jesus. He's the one doing the reclamation project. He's the one taking out the soil. He's the one putting in a new soil and a new heart. He's the one planting things. We are simply submitting ourselves to him and to his work. There can be so many things that come against that where we, we just reject what he's doing because we are not, we're too far gone. We have made way too big of a mess. I mean, it's just, he, he's proved it throughout all of scripture. He has taken the least and he said, this is, this is where I'm gonna do my work. So if you feel small or if you feel like a wreck, you're in a great spot. And the one essential step is to come to him to receive him as he comes to us because he is the savior. And when we behold his glory, we understand what God is doing through Jesus and who he's making us to be, to be like him. And we catch glimpses of how beautiful he is. That, that is what empowers us. That is what spurs us on to seek him together, to make those simple commitments to cultivate an intimate life with the Father, to take his heart for the hurting and the lost and get close to those who are messy. It all comes from Jesus. I just wanna share um, the last thing. Um, something God did for me, I think I shared a while back with some, some of you. Um, an experience God gave me, which is not, I haven't had one before and I haven't had one since, but it was probably the most powerful spiritual experience that I had. And to make it quick, um, I was going to bed, I was going to sleep. I, I was in a seasonal, I felt like a lot of spiritual warfare. So I was having to pray a lot, a lot, a lot, pray, pray, pray. Um, and that night I felt finally ready to go to sleep. And I don't know why I asked, but I, as I was falling asleep, I just asked, God, will you show me your glory? I didn't even know what I meant by that. Um, to this day, I don't know whether it was a vision or whether I was in a dream, um, but I found myself in this, um, in an ocean. There was absolutely no land. I was in this, the, the, this sea, this vastness, and there's no other way to describe it other than unending. And then I got brought under the water and it got deeper and more unending and more unending. I recently learned if you flipped Mount Everest upside down and put it in the deepest part of the ocean, it's not reaching the bottom, which is crazy to me. Um, but in this vision or dream, I found myself in that place going down, down deeper, and there was no end. And when I woke up, I knew that it wasn't demonic. I knew it was from God. And the other thing was I was actually pretty terrified. I felt like God had given me a glimpse of his bigness and it wasn't comforting. 
And I, I can you see that in some of the experiences in the Old Testament, people encountering the living God. I had to get up out of my bed and walk around. I was shook. Is the kids, kids still say that? Um, I, so I, um, and as I was walking around, I was processing this and I was like, whoa. Um, and out of nowhere, my mind was still on this image. A f- extremely clear still image came into my mind of a person who I knew to be Jesus, kneeling at the feet of a person with a cloth and a dirty foot in his hand, washing the foot of this messy, dirty man. And in an instant, God connected to me the vastness, the bigness of the God who we're dealing with here. And Jesus at the foot of a broken, messy man serving, giving his life, not coming to assert his right or his dominance. He came to love and he came to serve. And it connected with me with just, as I said, it was just so clear to me, glory. There is nobody like our God. There is no one like him. Bigger than we could imagine and closer and nearer to us, especially in our need and in our mess than we could ever hope to believe. And then he casts the vision for us. That's what he's doing in us. That's who he wants to make us, make us to be. Ones that carry his authority, his power, his glory, and come to serve and not be served. Come to give our life away. And he's working that in us. And the simplicity for us is to trust him and to follow him where, where he's leading. And to know that those simple steps that we take day by day or week by week, as we get together, as we seek him, is working that same glory in us. Second Thessalonians 2 says, he called you to this through our good news that you might share in the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. God's desire is that the Lord would be seen through us, that same Jesus that carried that same weight and that glory would start to come alive in us as it already has and we want more. We wanna see him work and we wanna see him move. And the center of all of it is he is so consistent, so kind and so faithful to us. And we don't deserve one bit of it, but he isn't gonna stop. When we um, worship tonight, I just, I just wanna sing about the glory of Jesus. I wanna sing together the glory of God and help, him, help us have him turn our hearts to just love him at a deeper level because that's where everything comes from. If you love me, you will obey me, Jesus said. If you love me, and so we need him to do that. There's a verse, the last verse is Romans 11, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever, amen. We're gonna sing about that tonight. I would just invite you in the moment while I'm praying in a little bit of silence to um, ask God to remind you and to reveal, to captivate our hearts again. 
Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you as you step in and you say, follow me in this discipleship that you are our salvation, Jesus. You are our forgiveness of our sins. You are our life with God. You're the one who conquered death. You didn't stay dead, but you rose again so that not even death could keep us apart. Will you, you take that deeply into our hearts tonight? You help us to believe that more, that you want us to be with you where you are. Jesus, you prayed that. I want them to be with me where I am to see my glory. Jesus, will you show us some more of that tonight, even as we sing? Will you remind us more of that tonight? I know that's where we're headed to, to behold your glory in all its fullness. Will you convict our hearts for those that don't know you, that don't, aren't coming into this glorious future and that we would have hearts that love them and pursue them? Jesus, you are our shepherd, you are our king, and when you tell us to go and make disciples, you said, listen, I'm gonna be with you every moment. Thank you, Jesus, that you're not going anywhere and that your heart is to do more than we could ever hope or imagine. This is nothing from us, but it's all from you. It's all from you, it's all through you, and it all goes back to you to glorify you. And I just ask you to help us to sing that tonight from our hearts. As we have prayer teams going to the four corners of the room, Father, that anyone that needs prayer, that wants to pray, I ask that they would go and receive prayer. They would go get prayer. That's so important to pray with one another. So I ask for blessings over the prayers tonight as we respond to you. Will you speak through those prayers? Help us to see you more clearly. Thank you for your amazing love and for the amazing good news of Jesus. We love you. Amen.